Feels like there's a good buzz in the air this year that hasn't been here for a while. Well, it's been a weird few years, right? I mean, you had the COVID thing, and then last year I was here, you had big gaps in the show floor where, you know, change of plans, budgets got slashed. But I feel like you've got a little bit more of a heartbeat this year, and I think we're right in one of those arteries right now. So yeah. this is, this is a, a good thing. The Highly Capable Podcast by Galtway Industries is the premier podcast for first-hand accounts of the manufacturing and supply chain spaces told by highly capable, accomplished, and proficient people. Exploring all types of personalities and industries, our goal is to highlight the people who have risen to the top of their space and try to identify what sets them apart. If you have any questions, nominations, or suggestions, please reach out to us on the Highly Capable Podcast page on LinkedIn or at podcast at galtwayindustries.com. How you been, Keith? How's things? Things have been good. Like I said, it's, uh, you know, we're, again, we're OTC. People will be able to look at the market and see what's going on. So there's a little uncertainty clearly out there. I imagine, um, you know, Jay Powell's probably getting a couple of views right about now. Interest rates are square in the, uh, in the conversation today. I choose to believe there are more people watching us, but yeah. hey, you know that's that's happening. Way more interesting. Sorry, Jay Powell. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, exactly. Well, you've you've, <laughs> you've done a dynamic job this season uh, of bringing great guests on. I, I think we've got another one in queue here, and it's very like you said, ties into the energy and transition. Yeah, you know, that that whole initiative. So I'll let you do the introduction. Yeah, before I get into the introduction, though, let me tell you a little bit about um, who we're going to talk 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 to, but more importantly. Uh, queuing up highly capable, uh. holy smokes. So we're going to be meeting uh, or having a conversation here with Danny Reg. Danny is the co-founder and CEO of Criterion Energy Partners. Um, came across Danny you know, through a uh, strategic partnership that Patterson UTI did with uh, Criterion about a year ago. Mm -hmm. Does that sound about right? Yeah, that's about right. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and I'll let him go through a, a lot more detail here later. But Criterion is a, um, is a focus on next generation power. I mean, this is, this is really the focus of energy transition. And a lot of it is using a distributed grid that they're going to ultimately help support by putting um, power generators, you know, effectively utilizing uh, geothermal power or geothermal sources. You got it, and, and, making power using heat from the earth. And you know, to imagine for a minute, again, as a pure oil and gas guy, that this is what we're looking at. I'm like, this is amazing. Talk about highly capable. Well, I'm pumped. Yeah. yeah. Welcome. Yeah, thanks. Thank you so much. And no, fantastic yep. job. I think uh, the shorter and sweeter uh, the, the intro, the better. Uh, well, so. it definitely cues it up a little bit, right? Because I want to learn a lot more about it. Um, you know, I specifically want to learn a lot more about your, your story and who you are, how you got here. Yeah, you Not bet. specifically how you got here, probably in a car. But beyond <laughs> that, kind of your story. So yeah, so can I introduce yourself a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Thanks for uh, in the invite. I'm really excited to be here. Cheers. Uh, fantastic conference. Uh, what a kick-ass booth this is. It's, it's amazing. A uh, little setup with the leather right. chairs and the American flag. I'm just right. I'm feeling the energy. It's awesome. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, Danny Ray, uh, co-founder and CEO of Criterion Energy Partners, like you mentioned. And uh, I'm a petroleum engineer by training and uh, you know worked in oil and gas for many years and, and you know decided to uh, leave uh, oil and gas and uh, focus on geothermal energy development, next generation geothermal energy development. So, um, yeah, I can talk talk more about the story and the background. Well, like but, I said, uh, 
That's I, the I gist definitely of want it. to hear a lot more about the back or about the current story, but I'd like a little bit more. Uh, you know, again, I don't really know you all that well. I'd like to know more about your story. Where'd you where grow you up? Yeah, where where are you from? Yeah, kind of so, walk me through schools. So yeah, I grew so up forth. in North Texas, Plano, okay. Texas, and nice. uh, you know went to school in the University of Oklahoma. Uh, so I'm half Okie, <laughs> uh, I like to say. And then uh, you know when I talk about football, I talk about Oklahoma. Right. Uh, and then when we talk about academics, I mentioned the Rice, Rice. NBA with the Rice. And, <laughs> nice. Uh, so you can play play the two sides there Why a little not? bit. Um, We've got a pretty <laughs> thick stack of Rice alumni here. Yeah, so no kidding. This is working out. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think both uh, both experiences were tremendous in kind of shaping how I think about uh, the energy space in general, and uh, you know how how we built the company, the culture. So how did you make that transition from high school in Plano up to Oklahoma? What was just wanted to leave the state, focused on PE? Kind of what you was know, it that drove you there? A bit random, to be honest with you. I mean, I, I didn't. There's uh, a I river there that Texas. people talk about. Um, yeah. University of Texas. I uh, did think about A&M, and most people think I went to A&M probably because I look look like an Aggie, whatever okay. that whatever that means. Uh, <laughs> You're gonna be but, quiet uh, on that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whole, whole whatever that means. Uh, you know, get that impression a lot right. for some reason. Because uh, you and, work hard, right? Yeah, yeah. Because I'm a hard worker, right? Yeah. Uh, and so, <laughs> and really smart as well, yeah. right? Sure. <laughs> That's what they tell me. That's anyway. what they always think of. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, kind of stumbled into Oklahoma, you know, somewhat uh, by accident. My grandparents said, hey, we had a great friend that studied petroleum engineering in Oklahoma. Why don't you go up there and check it out? Right. I did. Um, the uh, oil and gas space was not particularly, you know, active at the time. Okay. Uh, but it was picking up steam. And so when I joined the program, uh, we had like, you know, a few dozen in our in our class, and when we graduated, we had uh, you know less than 30 people. But oil prices were at $100 a barrel. Oh my goodness! And so uh, timing was about perfect. Huh? Timing was awesome. You know, I did an internship for Schlumberger, uh, now SLB, and mm -hmm. then also uh, worked for Anadarko Petroleum, and, and went so back you went for right a second out of school? internship. Okay. And went to work there right out of school, uh, and they said, "Hey, look, uh, you look like a like a drilling engineer. Why don't you join the drilling group?" And and so uh, and so I did. So and here we go. And uh, was off to the races. Nice. Where was that? Was that? Did they move you around, or was that still kind of in Texas? Yeah. So based out of the Woodlands, Texas, yeah. and you know, uh, spent a lot of my time uh, in the office. Uh, we were all kind of centralized, but we had rigs running all over all over the place. Right. Uh, Texas. Um, I mean, we had things going on in Canada at the time. Um, looking at know, a lot of logs. <laughs> looking at yeah. I mean, there was just a ton of opportunity, and these were like you know, these were real, uh, real wells, right? right. This wasn't uh, Midland Basin. Uh, manufacture, mass yep. manufacturing of, of the same thing over and over again. I mean, these were these were high temperature, high pressure wells. Okay. A lot of challenges. Uh, we were drilling a lot of Austin chalk at the time. Interesting. Deep gas, high pressure uh, wells in, in the Permian Basin and the Delaware Basin. Uh, so anyway, uh, you know, got to that amazing opportunity working for Anadarko and uh, Steve Bosworth's group. Right. With an awesome, awesome team and. You know, my first rig uh, was a Patterson rig. Was it really? That I was responsible for Patterson 38. <laughs> Amazing rig. Yeah, uh, probably feel, felt like an uh, old hat when you ended up uh, back working with Patterson. Yeah, on it's the, a little uh, bit of nostalgia. Strategic a little deal. bit of nostalgia. Yeah, that's cool. So, but you know, it's interesting. I mean, I went back and looked at my graduating uh, letter that I sent out to my family, and it said, look, I'm going to go develop energy, uh, oil and gas specifically, in a way that's sustainable and environmentally friendly. I was like, wow, okay, so that was... Good there was something that's there. Amazing. Yeah. There was something there even back then, and I'll, I'll love that to share That little seed is more, growing to a tree now. Share more about yeah. that. Uh, <laughs> so walk me through your Anadarko career, because, again, Anadarko was obviously very early in the you know, in the shale space. Yep. Obviously, early on, HTHP uh, wells, not shale. Uh, did you play in the uh, in the shale space when Anadarko was evolving that, or did uh, were you yeah. all in uh, more conventional style uh, 
development? So when I started, it was all conventional. I mean, okay. we had, you know, the only horizontal activity I would go was in the Austin Chalk, Got right? It. I mean, those were highly deviated wells, cutting natural fractures, high pressure natural fractures, but it wasn't, un, you know, shale, unconventional. Right. Started getting into some of the tighter sand plays. Um, but, you know, after, after the downturn in uh, 2008, 2009, right. when everything came back, I, I remember the, the rig count flipping uh, almost uh, on its head completely to horizontal development versus versus vertical well development. And to some extent, that inflection point is, is a lot of like where I think we're at with geothermal today. Okay. And so a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, analogous type opportunities that I see in the geothermal space is, is I saw at that point in time Got for it. the shale revolution and the oil and gas industry. So just I'm going to distill a couple things because you know we are obviously we're in the middle of Houston and OTC, but you know so you saw a for people that are not in oil and gas, right? You saw basically a technology or paradigm shift from like you said vertical to horizontal. That's when that shale revolution started to happen when when all that ha when when that was going through its transition, and that's probably giving you some tools to take advantage of maybe what's what's still to come, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think uh, the Boston Consulting Group recently, you know, published a report on next generation geothermal energy, and they said this is 2008 uh, for shale, unconventionals, except for geothermal. Like, that's that's the potential we have in front of us. So it's not just me saying that, wow. right? There's really smart people in Boston uh, talking about that hey. and elsewhere. I was going to uh, say, I choose to believe this guy's pretty <laughs> smart in and of himself. So, yeah. <clears throat> so you somehow, though, you know, between... Uh, Anadarko and Criterion, you make your way out to uh, Midland. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, I spent about half of my career working onshore, uh, mostly unconventional, some conventional development, uh, but then also half of it in deep water projects and, and had the opportunity to work uh, in, in Africa quite extensively. So Mozambique, Tunisia, Ghana, um, and, and kind of spanned, you know, drilling completions and reservoir engineering and, and did some business development roles as well. And so, you know, I like to mention that and talk about that side of it. Uh, I was going to say, let's let's learn a little bit more. What were the challenges that you faced over there? I mean, how did you enjoy it? Did you spend? I mean, are you living over there? You're just traveling over on rotation. Kind of walk us yeah, through a couple absolutely. of the more uh, interesting scenarios there. So you know, uh, in the right circles, I like to say I'm like Ricky Bobby's dad. When things are like perfect, <laughs> I like go and like mix it up and you know go yeah. change something. Right. Uh, I've always kind of been excited about the next thing uh, in the energy space and was very fortunate to have that opportunity with Anadarko to always have something really exciting that was up next, and they were they were able to rotate me around very cool. uh, from onshore to deep water Gulf of Mexico, pre-Macondo, and then to international, where right. in 2011, the idea was to take the shell revolution to North Africa. Okay. Right, and so I got to go over there. Uh, it was a pretty tumultuous time. Wh where were with, you? With uh, the Arab Spring happening. Oh, uh, man. Right in the midst of that, you know, I'll never forget driving through the Tunisian desert um, with Libya uh, right next door, and you know, uh, Gaddafi's regime was was falling, and holy smokes! And I was kind of like, what am I doing here? But you know, I was pretty young and excited, and you know, we we were trying to bring you know reliable, clean energy to North Africa and Europe, and that was the mission. Right. And, and export uh, the amazing you know potential that we we found here in the U.S. for energy to, to other parts of the world. So so did that again to use the Ricky Bobby analogy, was that the, the cougar in the backseat? Yeah, I never should have said that. Yeah, no, no, I love it. That's exactly what I, my mind went to. I always say that in closed circles. This isn't being recorded, it's is it? It's Fruit no. Loops. It's Fruit Loops. 
<laughs> yeah, the tiger in the right, exactly. Yeah, but exactly. I, I imagine Arab Spring in, in your backyard is is a little concerning, right? I mean, did they cut that mission short for you, or how did that work? Yeah, I got ex I got uh, evacuated to Europe uh, when there were some assassinations in Tunisia with some government leaders, and it got that very was a real. really exciting time. Yeah, and it's. You know, it was before I was married, before I had kids. Right. So, you know, I, I was probably a lot more naive. And, well, I was going to say, it, it, you know, they couldn't get you to go today. All, all the all the older, right. more seasoned folks had they already bowed out. I couldn't, yeah. Meanwhile, couldn't Danny's raising today. his hand, saying, "I'm doing this." Hey, yeah, sounds fun. I Let's mean, that was it was super exciting. Again, you know, on on the front edge, right. like trying. I mean, it was all about bringing this amazing uh, technology, exporting unconventional uh, drilling completion Practices. technology, yep. merging that with what you know international exploration, deep water exploration technology, uh, offshore technology can bring into the space to deliver it in a new environment, in a new place. And so um, that was awesome. And then after that, I got to go work. How many years uh, did you do that? Uh, I worked. North uh, Africa, Mozambique. Would so so I, rotated, I rotated to Africa for about uh, four or five years. Okay. I can't remember exactly. What Not insignificant. Was. No, no, it wasn't. So I spent a lot of time. I basically lived there half time. And then the what other half. What was your role? Was it was on the. Uh, inter engineer. International uh, exploration uh, drilling engineer. So cool. it was like this international man of mystery thing. Yeah. It was, Indiana Jones for uh, oil. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm, I'm picturing Austin Powers. Way cooler than it really was. Way cooler than it really was. So uh, no, it was fan it was amazing, right? I had right. so much fun. Uh, but you know, then I went to Mozambique. I uh, got to be a part of the the deep water uh, area one development, the LNG project, Mozambique LNG for a period of time. We drilled some onshore exploration wells as well that were, were quite difficult. Right. We beach landed a rig in Mozambique. That was that was pretty amazing. What, what wow. does that mean? Um, beach landed. Well, most of the time you show up on with trucks, right, uh, with your drilling yeah. rig. But uh, we actually had to beach land it because there was no no jetty. There was no there was no port. No port to actually offload any heavy loads. So, so you we just had pull to, it up on the shore. Yeah. Imagine like a D day like. I, boat driving up on the beach and just offloading trucks and you know this was a little bit less intense than that but same <laughs> yeah. idea right yeah. from an engineering standpoint a <laughs> little, little wow. less fire a little less uh, <laughs> gunfire but the same same time, same, same, same but <laughs> yeah so, sorry and, yeah i don't, I don't mean to yeah, make no, it sound too no i'm France, mentally even trying exciting, to figure out how you get the boats back off uh, once you're done i mean you you beach yeah. land these things they're digging into the into the ocean bed seabed and then you got to get them back I mean, just the challenges around that. Quite interesting, and you know, but it, I mean, it kind of set the stage for me that with people, money, and time, you can do anything. Right. right? You can do anything, and we <coughs> usually uh, only have two of those, though. That's the problem. Well, yeah. So all those <laughs> things lining up—that's that's a rare occurrence, and and so I think you got to seize the moment when that opportunity presents itself, right? When and it's never perfect, but um, you know, you got to go after it. So. Uh, I got engaged, and uh, within... This is while you're rotating back and while forth? While I was rotating, and within nine months, I was a reservoir engineer staring out the window in the woodlands, um, you know, working from from eight to five or whatever. And that was uh, your wife's <laughs> choice? Is that a nine month? Is that a significant that was your, time yeah, frame? Your, yeah, that was your wife's, uh, your wife's saying, hey, End of no international mass. man of yeah. history. You're done. Okay. <laughs> you're retired. Your happy ass yeah. is staying right here where <laughs> I can see it. it. You got it. I don't know if there was a correlation there, but that's how it worked out. Right. But it was actually fantastic for me. Uh, I started my MBA at Rice. Uh, I got to work with, uh, with an amazing team of uh, deep water exploration and development companies uh, on the Ghana Jubilee and Ten Field, mm. and uh, the Smart Completions, uh, six billion dollar project, the Ten Project, and so uh, Tolo was the operator, Anadarko was non-operated joint venture partner. It's all about partner influence, right? Uh, a lot of business business services mm. type work, 
but it was really my opportunity to kind of get into a different side of the business and, and, and get my MBA at Rice at the right. same time. Yeah, mm -hmm. well talk about that, that role in particular, right? Because now when you're non-op, you're trying to influence, right? So there's, there's a series of skills that when you're directing traffic as a drilling engineer, you're out <laughs> on Patterson 36, hey, I need you to do this. It's very easy. Talk to us about, you know, as a non-op, uh, in a very big role, what does that look like? How do you, how yeah. do you one, develop those skills? Are they natural for you? Two, how do you go? Yeah, I would say, uh, you know, it's a huge challenge to influence, uh, win friends and influence people uh, when you know you're not their direct boss, right? right. So <laughs> you get the, you know, uh, the tool pusher mentality on the rig, right? It's a bit of a command and control. Right. Uh, I think that's evolved uh, to some extent uh, from where it was maybe 10, 10 20 years ago. Yeah, but, no, absolutely. Uh, but, you know, and, and for good reason. But uh, I think, you know, when you're in that position, you, you have to use, you know, your skills, gifts, talents, capabilities right. to convince people that, hey, look, this is this is the right thing to do because it's just the right thing to do. Sure. And uh, there's, there's skills that, um, you know, are, are not technical in nature whatsoever that are super important for that. Right. Soft skills. And yeah. Soft yeah. skills, you got it. And that is not something that comes naturally. Yeah, uh, that's what I was going to say. I mean, you, you have, in, the, you have them now. You're, you're doing you know? a great job. I mean, I've seen, I've seen you in action, managing rooms, man, you know, managing pitch. So, I mean, yeah. how, how did you develop those skills? What, what, what got you to where you are now? Yeah, you know, uh, I'm definitely an introvert, right? I mean, but getting out there and just just making it happen and, okay. and practicing and, and getting engaged with folks. And I mean, I love connecting with people, I, actually, right. I really do. Uh, it's just not like a natural thing for me to be in a situate, a social situation and, and just get recharged from that, right? right. So, well, you're doing you an know. incredible job right now. <laughs> well, right? yeah, it's, it's, it's introvert's all, nightmare right yeah, now. Yeah, well, you bet. fishbowl. <laughs> yeah, you bet. And I mean, I think some of the best public speakers are actually very introverted, right? And sure. we really kind of dig into that. And not that I'm super introverted, I don't think, but uh, <laughs> but the point is like getting out there and, and just talking to people. Right. And I think business school was a big part of that. Um, you know, uh, customer, this idea of customer discovery. Right. Uh, most oil and gas folks are like, yeah, what's a customer? Like, what, <laughs> oil and gas operators, right? No, understood. Right. No, oil understood. and gas operators, yeah. like what's a, what's a customer? You just produce the oil and, and just, sell it down the, yeah. down down the, the pipe, pipe, right? It's a commodity. Uh, but from you know our perspective in business school, very foundational to say, okay, look, who is our customer? Wh what are the problems that we're trying to solve? Let's go innovate around that, right? So you're <clears throat> in Northern Africa, getting shot at, not necessarily Fortunately, up. I was not direct shot fire. at. Right. It makes for good radio if you <laughs> just go with it. Just go with it. It's a good push, yeah. but yeah. It, not yeah. quite that far. <laughs> there were bombs, let's yeah. just say. Okay. They were there. <laughs> it happens. Uh, uh, I think it happens, uh, yeah. Out, yeah <laughs> Dude, we're not too my, far uh, from here. Yeah. yeah, I hear gunshots all the time, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, at, at the farm, right? So, right. so you barely made <laughs> it. It's all relative. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you make it out. You end up reservoir engineer. So you go from international man of mystery to now you've got pocket protector. But your wife is happy. Her fiance at the time, now wife. Question is, so you, you get there, was MBA and, and or Rice, I mean, kind of walk us through, was that always the plan? Was it just the natural progression of things? Kind of what, what, what was the thought process that, made, that got you through there and, and uh, why Rice? Yeah, so, you know, I think I always wanted to do something entrepreneurial, okay. right? And I, and I think this, this idea of like changing things and, and being a, a, an agent of change and, right. and always looking for being on the you know, leading edge and, and innovative uh, kind of space um, really lend itself to that. And I think about where I'm at now, and I'm like, you know, my whole career was like that. I just found that opportunity within one company. Cool. And one thing that was amazing about Anadarko is they were very, very supportive of developing their people. Nice. And a big part of that was the Rice MBA program. Okay. And so, um, you know, you had some of our leaders that, that went through that. 
that program uh, through company sponsorship and, and various things. And uh, yeah, I just kind of always looked up to them and said, hey, that's that's where I need that's to go. That's a point on the horizon. That's what I need to do if uh, if I want to move up. And, uh, but it and, sounds like it's more than a box that got impact. checked. I mean, it sounds like it really changed, like you know, your your ability to interact with people, you know, influence people, and, and you know that yeah. it molded you more than you know you just, just learned checking a box. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think you know, you asked why Rice, and, right. and so you know, lots of MBA programs out there, and it's it's different for everybody. You know, it's it's not necessarily a, a, a great choice for you to go to Rice just because it's Rice. Right. I mean, you got to think about what you want to get out of that experience. And for me, it was about that in-person, intimate experience with really smart people, challenging you all the time, and uh, and, and making sure that um, you know I was able to pick up the kind of technical side of finance and, and uh, entrepreneurship, uh, which which is something I ultimately focused on. But also uh, the soft skill side, right? Got it. Like how do you how do you pitch uh, to investors? Right. Uh, how do you you know that's the first opportunity I ever had to pitch to. Uh, venture capital investors was at Rice through Rice through, through the program. So, yeah, it was a fantastic experience. Uh, but it doesn't really take you anywhere unless you do something with it. Right. right? Yeah. <laughs> so you you finish up Rice and that's your jumping off point, or you finish up Rice, you spend some more time at Anadarko before you uh, move on. What kind of walk yeah. us through that? Yeah. So I had an opportunity to uh, to go out to Midland and, and help uh, Anadarko with this transition to, uh, to to the Permian Basin and refocus there and. Uh, you know, I think I knew at the time, uh, I don't know that I should admit this, but I mean, I had, you yeah. know, bigger aspirations, aspirations, right, coming out of Rice. You can't help but Rightfully have that. Rightfully so. <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, it's it, just, it, it, it lights a fire. I mean, this is, you know, why I'm here today. Is it opens your eyes, that. lights a fire, great jumping off point, and, and you've had the time to think about it. You know, I've, I've heard some people say, like, you know, once you do the Rice MBA, and I mean, I did the, the professional program right. while I was at Anadarko, right? So um, I don't know how to chill out, right, is what they like to say. Mm. Because uh, you know you're just, I mean, you're you're working right. 80 hours a week, and it's just crazy. And then after after that ends, it's kind of like, oh, what do I do now? I'm going to start a company, and yeah, that's kind of what happened. So <laughs> yeah, there, there, there's a certain breed, I think, of us. We're like, all right, we're at a nine and a half out of ten stress level, but like, there's we still got some gap there. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah, some exactly. room. We can we fill can this baby over. Oh, man. Yeah. oh I'm I'm terrible about that. Yeah, like uh, demoing really a kitchen. That's, that's demoing yeah. a kitchen. That's what he's doing. <laughs> Yeah, I got little doing? kids running around. I got you know building a, a new foundry, getting it up and running, and we decided let's do a remodel there on top go. of that. There you go. That's so. not stressful. I mean, I mean again, look, I was, it'll be fun. I was <laughs> at a nine and a half. There's, we got some room, you know. Exactly. So. Exactly. Excellent. So uh, you know, Anadarko was kind of in a tough spot. I mean, right. they uh, they ultimately uh, you know decided to sell the company, right. and uh, I had an opportunity to go work for Endeavor Energy Resources. And so uh, some of the management team from Anadarko had, had moved over there. Right. Uh, it was a kind of up and coming private Midland Basin operator uh, doing some really awesome things, still doing some really awesome things. And, uh, and, and I jumped at it. And so we went from the desert <clears throat> of North Africa to the desert of West Texas, here you go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was, it, you know, to an extent following the yep. capital, right. to be honest with yeah. you. I mean, it was like, uh, following the, I mean, you always went to where there was an opportunity to to kind of lead the edge, and that's where the leading edge was in uh, 2018 at that time. Right. So, uh, had the opportunity to spend about two years at Endeavor, and uh, you know, learned from one of the best entrepreneurs in the oil and gas space, Andrew right. Stevens. Yeah. Um, done some amazing things, and so uh, I, you know, I'd actually say that experience was was quite you know fundamental in, in shaping how I think about. Uh, starting this company here, uh, you know, Criterion Energy Partners today, because um, you know they were in a place where they needed to 
kind of grow, uh, you know, as, as a company and, and, and modernize a lot of their systems and processes and, and things like that from a, you know, like what a bigger right. you know, oil and gas operator might do and the technology and the approaches. And so uh, going into that was a, was a bit of an entrepreneurial uh, journey. So <laughs> you, you went out there in 2018. Correct. And, <clears throat> excuse me, we, I mean, where was, um, and I should know this, Endeavor's actually a customer of mine, but back in 2018, how many rigs do they have working? I know exactly how many they've got working today. Uh, we had about seven or eight. Okay, and we so ramped up scaled. to 12 or 14. That's what I was exactly. actually kind of wondering. I mean, it was yeah. kind of as it was scaling yeah. too. So, exactly. so you're, you're exactly. scaling activity, so you actually have cash to invest in the business. Uh -huh. You're trying uh -huh. to put processes and procedures and kind of put some structure around a very entrepreneurial business. You bet. You and bet. Uh, mm -hmm. at the same time, watching it just explode in a positive way yep. because Endeavor has exploded. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Well, crazy. And yeah. so... From Endeavor, you go to you, you kick off Criterion. Was Criterion a uh, something you had had back in the back of your mind since Rice? Where, like, what was? Yeah, so let's let's start the transition <laughs> to where we are now. Yeah, so um, you know, I think you know, even prior to that, I was thinking about doing some impact investing type, type okay. work before the pandemic, right? So, uh, you know, back from Mozambique, I had yep. had a friend uh, and partner who had some opportunities there, and you know, we were looking to align. Uh, capital from you know the Western yep. uh, Western world with um, emerging Opportunity. market opportunities, yeah. and so sure. you know looking for uh, some competitive advantage around that, and and looking to do that on the side, right, as Got an it. investment opportunity, and so started exploring those those types of things, and ultimately uh, mostly around traditional oil and gas, or around you know, hey, let's do something about, different. It was around all kinds of things, but okay. you know with a with a definitely an energy sort of lens because that's where that's my you know. background right. and expertise was. And, yep. And so, um, you know, I think uh, was really looking to to do move into that full time effectively, yep. uh, and then I'll never forget spring break of 2020, and when the world <clears throat> closes, we were in Dallas. We were at a leadership uh, uh, event, uh, leadership conference uh, during that week, and I'll never forget watching the news. And it was like, what is this COVID thing? You know, we had this Man. pep rally, week. and yeah. um, you know, talking about how great the quarter was, and then uh, what you know, what's happening in Asia? Oh, it's you it'll know, be affecting fine. anything. Yeah, no big deal. Uh, and so everybody anyway. starts like fist bumping. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the kick thing was there. So yeah. you know, I kind of had a plan to to do all these things, and and uh, you know, I think in a way that catalyzed stuff, really? right? And and so you know, I resigned. I resigned in uh, June of 2020. Really? And went full time into entrepreneurship. And so this is was, what I'm doing, head down. You bet. That's, it, that's pretty you know, brave. Because, I mean, the world was essentially yeah, that, collapsing back that, then. That's what yeah, I was going to say. That was a big move. What? Yeah, like, yeah. How, I've got, how did your I've wife feel about not, it? Uh, I was going to say, well, yeah. how did People your wife feel about it? People tell me all the time, like, yeah, I've got balls. And they're <laughs> a little. That's that Aggie in you. Yeah. I guess you could say that for sure. You know. Yep. Some other other comments that I failed to make. But, too, but, but I mean, how, rationalize uh, that with you know in your personal scenario. What does your wife think about the world is collapsing? We're, we're we're you know we're shutting down. We're watching what's happening with the price of oil. Yeah. You know, power yeah. is abundant. You know, we don't need it because we're not using it. Yeah. Yet I'm going to go kick off my own deal. Well, I'll tell you what. There, fundamentally, I'll, I'll never forget. There's a few experiences and going back to 2008, 2009, right. right? But even like 2014, 2015. And I remember talking to some very specific people. There was one conversation at the Petroleum Club in like 2015, and you know, I remember saying like, "Oh man, you're going to start an oil company right now? Like this is a it's a terrible time to do that, right?" Right. And uh, and it just kind of you know, the, strategically in, in the Rice program, right. you know, shaped this idea of like, okay, when there is disruption and uncertainty, 
Time There's to go. Huge opportunity. Isn't right? that uh, Buffett, huge opportunity? Right. Be greedy when everybody's fearful. Yep. You right. bet. You bet. And it's a bit of a contrarian thing, but right. but more so, more around the idea of like disruption. Like things are changing. Right. The ecosystem, the market, uh, is inefficient. Right. right. At that point in time. Yeah. So, um, you know, it became really clear to me, and you know, this idea of impact investing. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd met uh, our, our co-founder at Rice. You know, and we had we had already kind of had some ideas around. Uh, launching an energy company and and uh, you know looking at where we could make the biggest impact and use our gifts, talents, skills, and capabilities. Uh, when we found geothermal energy, it was this light bulb moment. So wow. you guys had connected you know, Rice. Uh, you know, hey, we <clears throat> want to do something together. Start with a white sheet of paper. Where was geothermal in the uh, kind of on that timeline? You know, I think it was at the time we were look, largely looking at um, a lot of existing assets. I mean, the traditional MBA approach is to is to go acquire assets, right? right? Yeah. And then, you know, either turn Fix them around. Them optimize. Uh, you know, you know flip, yeah. whatever. And so, never really thought we would do a startup. I did, you know, try to pitch a startup uh, that was around saltwater disposal cleanup uh, when I was at school as right. kind of a side project. Uh, but, you know, never thought that that was kind of the main path. And, um, you know, started, you know, realizing, wow, we can drill wells for renewable energy. Right. Like this yeah. is it. You know, we have the technology. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> what, and oh. so, what was the confluence? Like, what were the what were the handful of things that said, you know, this is why we're going to do this? Yeah. So I think uh, one of the things I learned about being in Midland, like it's it's good. You know, and this this was coming out of the Rice, you know, program. It's like, why would you go to Midland after you get your Rice MBA? Like, go to New York or something like that, right? And get your MBA. And it's like, no, no, no. You guys don't get it. You know, having skills and you know. Uh, sustainable competitive advantage from a from a market standpoint like you can drive much higher value in a in a market where there's scarcity yep <laughs> absolutely yeah. yeah so a rice mba in midland can make <clears throat> goes a lot of money a long yeah. Way. Yeah, yeah new york you're one of a million yeah it exactly. goes a long way <laughs> so uh, you know someone with uh, the the skills of you know drilling lots of wells and right. driving down cost and innovation and everything uh, can make a huge impact in a, in a space that's you know small uh, that you know doesn't have a lot of players that right. you know hasn't been uh, automated and taken taken to the level uh, of technology and innovation that oil and gas has. So it was just this opportunity that was that was ripe and, and one that we could compete in, right? From our own personal um, experiences, but also you know it was it's a timing thing. Right. Timing's massive, right? And of course, most people don't talk about that, but it is. So <laughs> so you went. The timing was right apparently when the the sky was falling in 2020. Yeah, um, and <laughs> that just sounds funny. <laughs> yeah, it was a crazy time, you know. I'm so glad we're past I mean, that. I, I don't just, know how you guys feel about it. I mean, there's some good stuff, but I, I, man, I don't say, know. Man, <laughs> traveling during crazy. COVID was amazing. Yeah. I mean, there was nobody yeah. on airplanes. You yeah. go somewhere, there was nothing. I was I white kind of missed a little bit of that. Yeah, I was yeah. white knuckling that whole year. I had a baby on the way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oil was negative. I didn't know oh, what was yeah. going on. So okay, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I, yeah, it was. Uh, we kind of moved out to the farm. I mean, we got some more farm animals. We're like, what are we doing with this? Like, at least. Move eggs. back to Houston. Yeah. Like, <laughs> go back to Houston. Like, that's where we belong. And, uh, Try to get our okay. get our life back in a box. Yeah. Still, so, so still love the farm, though. You know, it's uh, one day. Where's you know, that? Uh, <clears throat> complete sidebar. North, North Texas. Nice. North Te yeah, closer right. to the family. So, yeah, I think uh, you know, to me, it was a fundamental thing of like, okay, um, sustainability, and I mean, I love being outdoors. Yeah. You know, I mean, I really fundamentally right. love being outdoors, and that idea of like having uh, impact on environmental sustainability as a drilling engineer, right. yeah. um, really struck me at a very early point in time because look, you know, when you're out there uh, drilling wells, managing well sites, 
um, you are directly impacting the the environment, right? And you have a you have the ability to do that in in a positive, good way or yeah, a positive a, way, I, a positive or negative. Completely and, agree. And so you know, to me, it was like this responsibility of like, look, we need clean, reliable energy, abundant energy, affordable energy for everybody, and we got to do it in the most environmentally sustainable way. Very cool. Right? So, that, and so that's that's what we're still trying to do today. Very interesting. <coughs> you know, geothermal. I, I, I'm an infant. Of, as far as knowledge goes there, but it does make sense, right? You have this basically a reactor underneath our feet if we could just get to it and, and utilize it, right? So yeah, how, how yeah. did that kind of, what was the genesis? Obviously you, you had a business partner from Rice, all right, we have an idea. I mean, did you know anything about it beforehand? Did, did you? Yeah, well, so I think, how did that work? you know, uh, I mean, you can you can learn about anything on the internet these days, yeah. right? <laughs> I mean, you learn about everything on right. the internet these right. days. Yep. So um, I think, you know, doing research, I mean, geothermal, I never had a, a, a significant exposure to it, you know, prior to that period of time. Uh, but, you know, started learning about some of the, some of the new um, companies that were thinking about it differently. And, and also the industry where it was from a maturity standpoint. And, you know, the benefit of geothermal is like there's been a lot, I mean, one of the positives about it is that there's been a lot of research and, uh, you know, quite a lot of academic publications that have come out around, uh, you know, geothermal projects and the opportunity. So tremendous amount of, of good, you know, fantastic technical work out there to really get up to speed in terms of where the industry's at. The challenge is there's not a lot of, you know, commercial projects that we can, you know, leverage to, to you know, drive, um, you know, development at scale. Like right. you can in oil and gas, right? We can't go look at the Railroad <coughs> Commission database, find thousands of wells, yeah. statistically identify where we need to go drill our next Midland Basin well. Sure. Right, and how we need to do it. Well, I think here's where we transition a little bit of the conversation to Criterion proper and help people understand what you guys are going to do in the longer term and the vision. But yep. w before we get there, I guess that is something that's curious to me. I mean, you go to Southeast Asia, the Philippines in particular, has a long story around geothermal. What, what, why, is, why is it so novice here? Why, what, why in North America is it so new? What, and, and what's going to make it different go forward? Yeah, you bet. So, uh, you know, Criterion Energy Partners is uh, decarbonizing heavy industry using heat from the earth. That's really what we're doing. And uh, we're doing it right here in Texas. Cool. Uh, we've got two big project sites on the Texas Gulf Coast. Uh, it's not the best geothermal resource in the world, but that's kind of the opportunity. Okay. Um, you know, the genesis of, of why, you know, Texas and the Gulf Coast uh, really goes back to customer discovery and the work we did through the Rice Alliance program early on in the company's life uh, in 2021 and, and finding like where, you know, we went out and talked to, you know, everybody from the large LNG facilities on the Gulf Coast to Estee Lauder in Michigan and, you know, who who's makes sustainable retail products and said, you know, what are your problems and, you know, can we provide you with a solution? And we ultimately ended up back here on the Gulf Coast because there's this tremendous demand for heat and power and need uh, for decarbonization with the customer base that exists uh, here. Okay, so, so you can do it in, in a lot. Like, I always thought it was a geographic thing, kind of like oil and gas, right? You can only historically it has been. harness it in certain areas, right? That's right. why they do it in Iceland or Southeast Asia, right? So geothermal has historically <clears throat> been geographically constrained, right? Mm -hmm. Typically around uh, heat anomalies in the subsurface, so the plate margins, right, are right. these areas of volcanic activity yeah. where yeah. you have higher temperature at shallower depths. So. Mm -hmm. Um, usually there's some surface expression of that, a hot spring, right. a volcano, mm -hmm. a steam vent or something like yep. that. Think about like, uh, you know, uh, some of the oil seeps uh, yep. in Pennsylvania right. in exactly. the early days of the oil and gas business. So right. 
a lot of the geo historical geothermal development has taken place in those areas where you just knew that that uh, elevated temperature was, was close to the surface yep. and easy to access. What we're doing at Criterion Energy Partners is taking technology uh, developments that have happened over the past 10 years in the oil and gas space, uh, both unconventional oil and gas space and uh, in deep water, more conventional oil and gas space, and the conventional geothermal space and bringing that all together to develop a resource that's right here in Texas in a way that's commercially viable. Uh, and, and it just, it, you know, it really hasn't been done uh, at scale before. Uh, there's a little bit of a history around some of the DOE work and a, and a project in the, that was drilled in the 1970s and 80s uh, that proved some of the technical viability of geothermal, uh, but it just wasn't commercial at the time. So we're looking to commercialize that opportunity. So <clears throat> I have a little bit of a benefit, you know, having the uh, strategic investment in Criterion Energy Partners, but maybe for Frank, and this I know is nothing. Gonna, I'm this, the most ignorant well, person in this and room this right is, now. <laughs> Well, and this is not going to be great for audio, but maybe describe for Frank kind of what the, how the, what, what the well is going to look like, how is this going to work? Are you drilling it? Yeah, I'm yeah. yeah. So, so these are oil and gas wells, but for geothermal, right? right. And so um, they're deep wells. They're you know 12 to 16,000 foot. Um, yeah. You know we're using a mix of directional uh, drilling technology, multi-stage completion, down, right? You're trying to get close to it. <clears throat> yeah, I mean yeah. you're drilling you're drilling deep. The benefit of geothermal, as you pointed out, right, is that it's that heat is everywhere. Yeah. We know that heat is there. We know it's there. We just got to get it. We just got to get it out, right? Yeah. With oil and gas, uh, it's a little bit you know different challenge. You don't always know it's there, right? Right. Oil and gas is kind of in these, uh, you know, very, you know, with the exception of kind of unconventionals where it's more continuous, but it's still, um, trying you to know, a pocket. there's yeah. still areas that are, are much more, have much higher concentrations, whereas like hot brine, it's, it's everywhere, right. right? And so it's more about how can we efficiently extract it um, from an engineering standpoint and understand the geology to be able to do that. So uh, we're drilling wells, both uh, production wells that produce the hot brine to surface and then re-injection wells, so you have a combination of, of uh, circulation of that fluid that's going on. That fluid is produced to surface and it runs through um, a heat exchanger uh, in a process called organic Rankine cycle. Okay. It heats a working fluid like a refrigerant, mm -hmm. right? And it moves. And it vaporizes that fluid and then it runs a turbine. Turbine. It yep. spins a turbine, just like, like all you know, gas turbine steam. technology. Yep. This very, is where I get obnoxiously curious, okay? So, like, how hot is this brine? Yeah, so you know, we like to think about um, our, our minimum cutoff at around 150 degrees Celsius. So that's 300 degrees Fahrenheit yeah, roughly, yeah. right? And so you're kind of right on the edge. And this, and, and there's different companies doing different things. You know, we're we're between uh, 150 and, and 200 degrees C. There's some companies focused on 200 to 250 C. Um, the hotter you go, the more efficient your energy production but the more challenging it becomes to drill and develop commercially, yep. right? Okay. So the benefit of the window that we're in is that you've got a lot of um, oil and gas technology that can access that heat. Already works down there. It yeah. already works down there, yeah. but it's hot enough to generate commercial quantities of, of energy. Yeah, we get much beyond you know, 200 degrees C and all of a sudden- Things start to break. Well, and even just having tools to be able to drill the wells become incredibly hard. And so, you know, those sorts of things have to happen. We have to innovate and build those yep. tools and drill deeper and to take geothermal truly everywhere. Uh, but we're on a race to revenue. You know, we want to get a project off the ground and drill our first well uh, here this year and have our first, you know, 20 megawatt power plant online uh, in the next couple of years. I mean, that's the goal. That's so, a significant power plant. Yep. This is not a backyard project. That's, that's, that's a real deal. You bet, you bet. I think, uh, <clears throat> you know, uh, again, going back to the idea of, of co-locating with the off-taker and the consumer, 
Um, you know, we're thinking about our projects in you know 20 to 40 megawatt increments, and um, you know, ultimately generating uh, you know up to 100 megawatts at one at one site. So you and can scale. This is this is well, that that was going to be one of my yeah. questions. How scalable, right? I mean, help help people Absolutely. understand where, like where where what are your restrictions? You know, once you prove up the technology, any supply chain challenges? What stops us? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a lot of there's a lot of challenges, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't you know I don't want to paint this like uh, you know if this was super commercial today, like yeah. everybody be doing it, right? Right. right. Uh, and, and so there's there's a lot of optimization. There's a lot of innovation that still needs to happen. You know, I like to think that a lot of it's incremental innovation. Right, just like we did in unconventional oil and gas, right? To drive value, you know, we're taking tools, directional tools, yep. and just modifying them slightly so that they're, you know, uh, for better applied to geothermal. And so, um, you know, I think uh, as we go down, uh, you know, the the learning curve and, and you know start to optimize around, uh, you know, operational efficiencies, uh, innovative technologies. Uh, and just you know, getting out there and, and you know, uh, at bats, right? Right. Uh, and and you know, basically uh, scaling over time and driving down the cost. I think we'll, we'll ultimately uh, you know drill a lot of wells for geothermal. When so you said earlier you're trying to get uh, you know the first project raced revenue, first project done. Yeah. So in a perfect world. When do you want to get rolling on your first well? Other than yesterday, and more <laughs> importantly, what, what are the what are the barriers to what are the hurdles right now? I mean, is it is it money? Is it rigs? Is it, what 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 are what are the next steps for you? Yeah, so uh, we have we have drilling permits at our first project site. Uh, we've got we have real estate uh, where we have rights to develop geothermal energy. Uh, we have we have customers that you know we're we're engaged with who who nice. want that energy, right? I think we you know. Of, upon successful demonstration of, of our technology and drilling our first well, uh, you know, I think the sky's the limit to, to where we can go and scale, so long as we demonstrate that there's a path to commerciality, right? Got it. I think that's really the key. We're going to produce hot water. Mm -hmm. We can make power with that hot right. water. Uh, is it commercial, right? right? Can we do that in a commercial way and, and drive down that cost, um, you know, efficiently over time? And so, you know, would like to get out, and uh, the plan is to, is to get out and drill that first well. Uh, here this year. Uh, we're in the process of working through our data sets and refining our bottom hole locations uh, so that you know we have the we reduce the risk as much as possible. Because uh, one of the challenges with geothermal is this idea of of uh, ENP risk with utility scale returns. Right. right? And right. so those things just don't mess. <clears throat> but if you can uh, if you can tackle that upfront risk right. with data sets um, and you can boost those returns on the other side, then you can find a project that works. So yeah. uh, we're, we're in the process of kind of optimizing both of those things. That's so, I mean, it's so exciting. Yeah. I mean, the world is going to need more energy, right? And this energy Absolutely. transition, you know, that's, that's a lot of different solutions that, are, that need to be bolted together to tackle these big challenges. Absolutely. Kind of like the transformers Absolutely. of energy, right? Well, oh, it's, <laughs> it's super exciting, right? Thrilling and terrifying all at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> well, it sounds like North Africa. Um, no, but right, sitting here right, in, in the, 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 theme, right, yeah, huh? the energy transition pavilion, uh, I'm, I'm an all the above guy. I believe that the world just fundamentally needs Absolutely. more. Absolutely. Um, and, and so oil and gas isn't going anywhere, but at the same time, it's how do we use, you know, one, I think there's this misnomer that oil and gas is inherently dirty, bad, and we, we hate the environment. Yeah. I think your comments earlier, and I would echo that, I'm, a, I'm an outdoors fanatic, but yeah. it's, it's, we all want to do the right thing, not just for ourselves, not just for the environment, but for our kids. Absolutely. And for generations they're on. But then, mm -hmm. you know, how do you continue to, uh, to develop other options you know, other than coal, nuclear, uh, 
you know, gas, oil, what have you, for power generation, because you look at the importance that power plays mm -hmm. in everyday life. Yep. I mean, it's amazing, and so something like this, when you look, once you prove up scalability here, mm -hmm. I mean, there's a global play here as well. I mean, even if it's licensing technology, you know, doing project management, I mean, the needs and being able to be close to the consumer, mm -hmm. you undo a lot of grid risk, there's a lot of other benefits in what you guys are looking at. You bet, and I think the world needs geothermal energy. Um, it, it, we need geothermal energy in other parts of the world, perhaps even more than we need it here in Texas. Totally yeah. agree. Right? But, you know, there's really just no better place in the world to drill a well than in Texas, right? <laughs> Pro <laughs> prove it up, right? You got a lot of so, people around yeah. here that can do that. So. so look, you know, that's where we're going to go first, but um, upon uh, having success with the, with the business model, right, and the technology, um, there, the sky's the limit. There's a ton of, of opportunities uh, to, to enter into markets where right. uh, energy prices are even higher. Energy security is a huge issue. Geothermal has a Especially the last major year and benefit. a half, right? Your energy's on site with you, it's below your feet, right? right? You're yeah. not having to depend on any sort of feedstock or any sort of import any energy, um, you know, to be able to provide that base load supply for, for that customer, right. uh, which, which could be a government uh, entity, you know, for example, uh, and you know, other folks that have these reliability needs. Uh, and security needs, right? So I think geothermal is, is a great solution uh, for the, the point in time that we're in. Right. It couples well with intermittent renewables like wind and solar. It couples well with uh, natural gas. Because it can be, and you look at it more as a base load, correct? Absolutely, so I think, I think the, the terminology that, that um, you know, we like to use is firm and flexible. There you go. So okay. base load is the Good. firm piece, right? Yep. But the yeah. flexibility piece is becoming increasingly important. Yep. And as we think about boosting the returns beyond utility returns, that's where you that flexibility piece is that opportunity. So whether that's storage, dispatchability, um, hybrid generation, maybe you have, um, you know, natural gas generation, uh, you know, alongside geothermal, uh, because some of some of these fluids exist in the subsurface together, exactly. right? Maybe it's hybridized with uh, most. You know, modern geothermal plants have you know solar some panels on them. Most modern oil and gas sites have solar panels <coughs> yeah. on them right. too, right? Yeah. So uh, there's just there's so many great opportunities, and then integrating through the value chain, right? Whether that's manufacturing, you know, ethylene or hydrogen um, or uh, ammonia, I mean, there's just, there's so many great opportunities. Um, and you know, the last one I'll mention is, is lithium brine extraction, right? I mean, there's, uh, there's a tremendous demand for lithium. Yep. I've got my Ford Lightning on order. <laughs> uh, I'm nice. super pumped about that. And you know, I, I, tell, uh, I tell my poker buddies who, you know, aren't, aren't as uh, into renewables as, as I am, yeah. you know, that hey, look, it's a performance thing, okay? Yeah. has well, nothing to do. I, I this no thing idea. is fantastic, right? Lithium brine extract, <laughs> yeah. we could, all right, I'm gonna, I can't go on another hour, but yeah, I didn't even know you could do that. Yeah, yeah. I, I literally learned about this on Monday, <laughs> and apparently it's actually pretty sizable in East G Texas, Oklahoma, or East, East Texas and uh, Louisiana. GM has invested significantly in lithium brine extraction uh, for geothermal, and so, um, I think you're going to see some, you know, increasing increasing interest in that because we need a lot more lithium, right? Oh, to yeah. meet some of these EV targets and other other battery targets that are out there. So it just, you know, it underlies the energy transformation. Right. Yeah. Geothermal does uh, in so many ways, and I think people are are waking up to that idea, and it's it's super exciting. Hopefully, we can wake up a few more people. But that's, right. I'm, I'm sold. You bet.
Well, I want, before we wrap, one thing, I, I do genuinely appreciate you carving out time to come chat with us, give us a little bit more of your background, but you know, two, again, energy transition is in the square, you know, right in the crosshairs of everybody's conversation. Mm -hmm. I've got to imagine a lot of people want to talk to you and learn about what you're doing. Mm -hmm. What are one or two takeaways that you want to leave with our listeners on geothermal, you know, energy transition, any, anything in particular that you say, if you only take one or two things away, this is what I want you to know. Yeah, I think uh, <clears throat> disruption and uh, opportunities, and and you know, seeking seeking out um, you know truth in, in what you're what you're doing and what you you know what you want to be doing with your time is so important. And and so you know you've got to take calculated risks. Like don't never um, would would uh, promote just uh, taking blind risk. Right. But um, get out there in your in your job in your career um, in your company. You know maybe that's a different company. And just just challenge the status quo, right? And and uh, and look look for that that truth uh, for for what you believe is right, but also you know what's what's right for you, right? I think that's that's super important. And uh, there's no better time than right now. Um, <coughs> and and there's never a perfect time, right? Yeah. So the uh, other the other big takeaway that I took from your story in particular that I love is doing things that not necessarily other people are willing to do. Go to where there's scarcity, whether it's North Africa, Midland, Midland Texas. <laughs> I mean, there, there are a lot of people there. They just run away from the from the yeah. unknown. And, yeah. and I mean, in taking I mean, it comes back to your risk management comment as well. But taking those risks mm -hmm. have been critical to your career. Absolutely. It is critical. And, uh, you know, I think it's OK to make mistakes. Right. And I think so often we're so risk adverse, right? And yeah. we're so afraid of mistakes. And you know, somebody was talking about like, hey, there's not enough like de good debate and like right. just hashing it out, right? That happens anymore uh, in some of these conferences. And you know, not enough good friction, right? It's either no friction at all or like unhealthy friction, <laughs> yeah. right? And it's like, look, you got to have some healthy friction in there, right? To make things happen. So right. go find that healthy friction uh, yep. for yourself within your company, within your team, right? Um, healthy friction within within you know your relationships, right? right? But, but that's how you grow and you learn. I'm yeah. using that a lot. Yeah, so. yeah me too. This is just healthy friction. Honey. Uh, it's a it's a careful yeah. balance. Yeah. It's a careful this balance. Is good for but, us. Uh, yeah. No, yeah, fantastic. Awesome. Thank you guys for having me Thanks on. Thanks for it's, coming. It's yep. thrilling, hopefully somewhat entertaining. And, Absolutely. Uh, I, I do want to give know. a, she, she's not looking right now, but maybe she'll hear this. Quick shout out to Lauren, our producer. She's out here yep. keeping us on schedule, keeping <laughs> things, hopefully we sound okay. You bet. Uh, but she's yep. been instrumental in all this. Yep. But yeah, yeah, I want to echo, thank you for your time. Thanks yep. for coming. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. I, I learned a little bit. I, I want to learn a lot more. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about it. Keep doing it. Keep it up. Thanks, Thanks a lot. Danny. Appreciate right. it, buddy. Thanks. If you have any questions, nominations, or suggestions, please reach out to us on the Highly Capable Podcast on LinkedIn or at podcast at gaultwayindustries.com. Thank you for listening.